Welcome to Attorney General Insights. I'm your host, Matt Den, a partner with the DLA Piper Law Firm and the former Attorney General of Delaware. And I'm pleased that our guest today is Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro. General, welcome. Great to be with you, General. I'm, I'm happy to reconnect with you and um, to be on this pod and I appreciate you and DLA Piper. Uh, likewise. Uh, you have become a household name. I mentioned when we last spoke that my 16-year-old son has you ranked up there with um, members of the 76ers and the Eagles in terms of star power. Uh, but uh, let me give people a 60-second biography uh, anyway. Um, General Shapiro was just reelected to his second term as Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He's successfully run for election eight times in Pennsylvania. Uh, most recently in uh, two statewide races in one of the most closely divided states in the country politically. Um, as the Pennsylvania Attorney General, he's taken on a number of issues that have gained national prominence, including an investigation of child sexual abuse in the Catholic Church, uh, forcing an end to a showdown between two healthcare giants in Pennsylvania that was threatening insurance coverage for millions of Pennsylvanians. And he was most recently front and center on the national stage, successfully defending the integrity of Pennsylvania's electoral process. And uh, in general, we'll get to the politics, um, but if you don't mind, sure. I would like to start with um, the personal. Uh, I just uh, you mentioned to folks uh, all these different issues that you're involved in. Uh, you also have four kids who range in age from one in college to, uh, how old is your youngest? My youngest now is 10, just had his birthday. Okay, great. Uh, and, you know, we can see from your social media postings and things like that, you know, it looks like at least some of your kids are pretty enthusiastic participants in your political life. And I was just hoping you could talk about, uh, you know, from from you know, your oldest to your youngest, how you've navigated all that. And, you know, to the extent that you've had to kind of figure it out as you as you've gone along over the years, uh, what you've learned. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, I can assure you that um, none of my four children think that uh, my popularity rises to the level of a sixer or an eagle the way your son does. So I'd love to hang out with your son sometime. <laughs> um, look, I, I'm glad you started with the personal, Matt. And uh, I know you and I have had conversations like this over the year. You know, it's always family first. And we, you know, for, for as sort of public in nature as our jobs are, uh, you know, we, my wife and I work very hard to guard the privacy of our children uh, to make sure that they can grow up uh, in, in a wonderful commonwealth and community and country. And I certainly try and do my part for that, but that they can also grow up and just have normal, you know, in this case, teenage lives and preteen lives. And so that's, that's incredibly important to us. You, you had mentioned before how it seems like, you know, some of our kids are, are, involved or interested in, in the work we do. And yeah, that's true to some extent. And then other, you know, for other of my kids, you know, they're proud of their dad, I think, but they really don't care. And that's, that's cool. That's the way it should be. You know, I don't want my kids existence to be based on the work that I do. And so Lori and I work very hard to guard their privacy, ensure that they have some normalcy, but also expose them to new and different and interesting things that, you know, frankly, not a lot of other kids get the chance to experience, but allow them to do it on their terms, allow them to come to an event if they want to, or, you know, my, uh, my now almost 16 year old, he's still 15, almost 16 year old, uh, had a curiosity about Joe Biden. He got the chance to, to meet him and 
two of my other kids didn't care to, to come along. And that's cool. That's the way it should be. And for me, um, making sure they have that normalcy is critically important. And I will tell you, um, they, even when they're not engaged in my work day in and day out, um, they're probably the most important part of uh, how and why and the manner in which I do public service because they ground me and they make things real. And when I look at my kids, um, I think about other kids out there that need someone to protect them and, and make their community safer and, and look after them. And so they keep things real. They keep me grounded. Um, I love them to death and, and uh, I'm proud to be their daddy. Let me, um, let me ask you about one sort of specific element of, of all that. I, you know, the two of us were on a, a flight uh, out of Philadelphia back when people flew on airplanes, uh, I think to um, Nashville. And, uh, and I had the opportunity to see you FaceTiming with a couple of your kids before the, the plane took off. Uh, and I always tell people, you can't, you can't really fake the way that kids react to their parents. And it was pretty obvious just from that tiny little glimpse that I got that your kids uh, adore you, or at least that, that they did that day. Um, and, you know, you've been in some pretty rough and tumble political fights. And, you know, some yeah. of your kids at least are old enough to be able to, to read about them and understand what's being said about you. And, you know, how do you deal with, you know, with that part of it with them, explaining what they might read about you on, on Instagram or, or Twitter or something like that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, look, I don't take very seriously the, the stuff that people kind of write about me when they're analyzing me, good or bad, by the way. Um, obviously, I, I want our work to be publicized and I want our work to be able to, to help um, others and, and inform others. But I don't really sort of get myself caught up in all the other nonsense. And, and so I think in turn, our kids really don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. You know, in the height of campaigns, we tend not to keep the TV on you know, because I don't need them to see commercials about their dad um, that are typically nonsense coming from the other side. But, you know, I really just, Lori and I really just try and shield them from that by having normal lives, by, you know, playing basketball together and watching sports and watching movies and doing this normal stuff people do and not letting my career be the focus of our family. And I think because we don't do that, when it comes to election time or news stories are written or whatever, um, it's just sort of not like a big deal to them, which is really what, what we want. Um, well, let me uh, switch over to the, to the, uh, you know, the job side of things. You, um, you got elected attorney general in 2016, uh, same, same year that Donald Trump was elected president. Uh, and almost immediately after that election, Democratic state AGs were involved in litigation uh, against the, the administration, starting with our challenge to, to the, uh, the immigration ban and then eventually expanding to dozens of other different areas over the next four years. And a lot of the burden of that litigation fell on the larger attorney general's offices like yours. Um, and now that's all changed. Uh, yeah. And even if you end up having to defend some of the new president's actions, I expect that you're going to have a lot more bandwidth uh, to focus on other things. So I, I, two questions, I guess. First, do you think that that's the case? And, and if so, what are some of the areas that you're hoping to bring more focus to now that you'll have the ability to, to do that? Yeah. Look, for my entire first term, because as, as you point out, point out, I got elected the same time Donald Trump did. In, in fact, we both won Pennsylvania. 
I, I got more votes than he did, but we both won in Pennsylvania. So it was a, a strange environment to run in and obviously a challenging environment to govern in. And for my entire first term as attorney general, you know, we had a president who was bent on subverting the rule of law and taking courses of actions that, that you know, pose risks to all Pennsylvanians, especially our state's workers and our black and brown communities and folks in rural communities throughout Pennsylvania. And we successfully defended the law across the board on issues like worker rights and environmental law, protecting our immigrant communities. And um, obviously, as you, as you kind of referenced at the top, protecting our state's election laws from the extraordinary and baseless accusations of fraud, you know, the perpetuation of the big lie really had its roots here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. As it relates to President Biden going forward, um, obviously, I'm going to kind of philosophically agree more with his views. I'm not pretending uh, that that would be different. But, you know, I never sued Donald Trump because I disagreed with him philosophically. I sued Donald Trump because he broke the damn law all the time. And what I'm hoping with Joe Biden, if passed his prologue, I think this is a a pretty safe bet, is that he's going to follow the law. And there'll be things I agree with, probably more so with Biden than I did with Trump. But there's also going to be things that I disagree with. And just because you agree or disagree doesn't mean you initiate a lawsuit. It has to do with whether or not the rule of law is being violated. So I'm looking forward to having a president who works with us in law enforcement to uphold the rule of law as opposed to trying to subvert it or undermine it as Donald Trump did for four years. Any um, you know, any areas that you think you'll be able to bring more focus to that you just didn't have the opportunity to because you were um, you know you were too tied up with with dealing those issues no. dealing with issues you're just talking about. No, I, I always I told the people of Pennsylvania, and I'll tell you the same thing: we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Uh, just because we were busy suing Donald Trump to protect women's reproductive rights didn't mean that we couldn't make sixty five hundred arrests of drug dealers who were pushing poisons like fentanyl in our communities, uh, or, you know, address the biggest healthcare crisis that existed over the last decade in Pennsylvania. And that is, you know, two warring insurance companies who are about to leave 1.9 million Pennsylvanians without health insurance. So we can walk and chew gum uh, and we're going to continue to do all that other work. And by the way, continue to hold the Biden administration accountable to the rule of law as well. Uh just talk about, if we could, the, the attorney general's job itself. You, you've had a bunch of different jobs in elected office, and they've had really dramatically different types of, of responsibilities. You were uh, a leader in the state legislature. Um, you chaired a county board of commissioners where you were basically the chief executive for an entire county with all kinds of responsibilities, you know, ranging from public health to housing, libraries, corrections, you know, you name it. And then uh, in 2016, you become the attorney general, which is really a job unlike any other one in state or federal yeah. government. What, what parts of the AG's job you know, did you find the most challenging during your first term? And, and how does it compare both favorably and unfavorably in terms just in terms of your enjoyment of it to your prior elected offices? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, folks forget that when I took over as attorney general in 2016, I was literally taking over from my elected predecessor who was on her way to jail for corruption, uh, for you know leaking grand jury information as part of a, a broader investigation into 
for public corruption. And so our agency had lost its reputation. I think it lost its way. It had some incredibly talented people in it, but uh, it had also just bled so much talent over the last you know, year or two of, of her tenure that we really needed to rebuild. And I'm proud that you know, we were a, about a thousand person agency today. You know, we've added over 250 people to the operation to build it back up to where it needed to be. We're handling some of the most complex civil and criminal matters. Uh, we're leading national investigations, like the investigation to opioid manufacturers and distributors. And we're, we're doing so now with just exceptional talent around us. And so for me, that rebuild process um, obviously was new in the AG's office, but I had done a lot of that work as the uh, county commission chairman, I think you call it uh, county executive in Delaware, uh, in Montgomery County, which is Pennsylvania's third largest county, about 850,000 people, a workforce of about 4,000. We had to rebuild that. I was the first Democrat to, to lead that county in 150 years, and they faced serious problems when we took over. And so it, um, that, that rebuild job was incredibly important. I drew on the experience I had uh, as that county leader in, in order to do it. And then, you know, certainly the, the legal work is different than what I was doing before, but, um, you know, obviously had a, a strong legal background and good legal training. And I've also learned to surround myself with people who are really smart, um, who ask great questions. Uh, who challenge me every step of the way and who bring um, really different experiences to the job. So that when we sit around that small table where we make decisions, as you did when you're attorney general, you were attorney general, um, I have people who look different than me, uh, who've got different life experiences than me, who process information differently than me. And together through that spirited discussion, we end up coming out with what I think are, are just, you know, outcomes. And that is, um, that is the, the role of being a, a leader in government. Uh, and I drew on my experience having done that in other areas, just with uh, obviously much different subject matter. You, you just were talking about, uh, you know, making decisions. And, you know, one of the things that makes the attorney general's job uh, unique is, you know, the exercising of prosecutorial discretion. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's usually not the easy ones that come to, the attorney general's desk and, you know, those decisions, you know, whether or not to charge someone with a crime, what should the charge be? You know, if there's a guilty finding, what should the penalty be? Um, you know, those are, those are life-changing decisions usually for a number of people in any given case. And they're not even necessarily always the high profile cases um, without necessarily identifying specific cases by name, which I know you, you can't do. Could you talk about that part of the job uh, and, you know, some decisions that didn't necessarily make the front pages that were particularly difficult ones for you? Yeah. Look, uh, you know, as you know, so much, um, so much of this job and, and the work that my office does day in and day out is secret and has to stay secret by law. And, um, you know, until we're in a position to announce something, it, it, you know, it doesn't steal a day. And in some cases, you know, you do, big investigations that you think are going somewhere. And ultimately the evidence doesn't lead to uh, charges being filed. And so, uh, you know, it never really uh, sees the light of day. Um, uh, you know, I guess I'd, I'd have to say that, you know, the series of decisions, you know, what investigations to pursue, complaints to move forward on the day-to-day -day business of the Office of Attorney General, that's the stuff that doesn't get covered 
every day and doesn't make headlines, but is one of the, the most challenging and rewarding aspects of my job to be able to work with uh, these extraordinary people and, and make these decisions and do what you think is right and just. Uh, that is, um, you know, that, that, that is the, the work that we do that, that doesn't sort of garner headlines, but is incredibly important. You know, there's some subject areas that kind of don't, it's, it's always interesting to me, like what the media seizes on and what they don't and certain things make you work your tail off on and doesn't get a whole lot of coverage and other things get an extraordinary amount of coverage. Um, you know, one of the big fights that we're, that we're engaged in that I, I take very seriously, and I don't think it gets as much attention as it should, is the battle to um, recover literally billions, would they be billions of dollars for student loan holders who have been ripped off by student loan companies, including Navient um, in this country. And that's a huge fight we're engaged in. We allege uh, uh, that they flee students and their families out of $4 billion. And so we're working very hard on that case. And Hopefully, we're going to get that resolved at some point uh, very soon here. Um, the last question, but it's a uh, it's a big one. Um, okay. I, so, uh, you know, obviously, I've I've kept close track of what you've been doing first as a colleague, and now somebody in the state next door who uh, who reads the news. Um, you had as close to an error-free first term as somebody can have in a in a job like yours, um, and then you ran what looked to someone from the outside like a pretty flawless re-election campaign as well. Uh, you outperformed every single Democrat on the statewide ballot in Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and you ended up with 50.9% of the vote. Uh, so Pennsylvania looks to be a 50-50 state where you can't win elections unless you're attracting pretty significant numbers of votes from independents and, and even members of, of the other party. Uh, which kind of seems to be the dynamic with national elections now as well. So my question is, you know, as one of the small group of people who successfully ran that gauntlet in 2020, you know, what would you say to people around the country who are looking down the road and saying to themselves, you know, what can we do to win national elections? Yeah. Well, look, first off, I think um, that 51% is a it sort of doesn't tell the whole story. I was running in a, in a field of four candidates. Um, we won by a comfortable margin. We actually set a record uh, in that we got more votes than anyone in the history of Pennsylvania in any race. We actually even got more votes than, than Joe Biden did this cycle. So I'm incredibly proud of, of what we did. Um, but it's also true that Pennsylvania is a very divided state. And so even with that margin of victory we had, you know, it's still a few hundred thousand votes. It wasn't millions of votes difference. Um, we are a, it is, it is a tough and challenging state. And, and that's why I love it so much. I mean, it is diverse. It's different. Um, there's a lot of uh, different terrain and, and different looking communities. But I guess what I have found, and I think this is important um, as we think about how to win races nationally in the Democratic Party, really anyone thinking about running is I tend to look at government in a, in a pretty simple, straightforward manner. Um, people, no matter how different they look or, you know, different walks of life they come from, they kind of all basically want the same four things. Uh, number one, they want, you know, good schools for their kids and grandkids. Number two, uh, 
they want economic opportunities, and there's many subsets of that, from infrastructure to healthcare, for example. They want opportunities. Number three, they want safe communities, and certainly you know that from your time as, as attorney general. And then fourth and finally, and I won't be um, I won't be particularly articulate in terms of how I say this, but fourth and finally, they they want to not get screwed. And and what do I mean by that? I, I think. You know, too often times power gets concentrated in these big corporations that take advantage of people, or it gets concentrated in a government that doesn't work for people, whether because the policies they put forth hurt folks or because they can't simply do the customer service side of, of governing. And I think if you kind of break things down that way and you show people how you're fighting for them on, on you know, in, in those sort of key four buckets. Um, you're going to win more than, than you're going to lose. And I think that that's, that's important for us to think about as we go forward. What else is important to think about uh, is that, you know, what Donald Trump and his enablers did to try and undermine this election cycle uh, won't be easily forgotten and can't be ignored. Uh, we've got a lot of healing to do in this nation. You know, we, we can't, I mean, think about this for a second, Matt. We can't rush past or, or ignore that 126 members of the U.S. House, including the Republican leader, 19 state attorneys general, and, and President, you know, former President Trump, abused the courts to try and overthrow an election. And I think we've got to call that seditious conduct out uh, and make sure it's not forgotten. And that ideally we learn from it and heal from it. And recognize that, you know, the, president, the former president spent a lot of time with his enablers attacking our institutions. And you know, I, I realize this is somewhat self-evident, uh, but, but, you know, it's been reinforced over the last few years that our institutions are only as strong as the people who serve them and the people who defend them, the people who swore an oath and, uh, and, and did the right thing, and the people who swore an oath and then, I think, repeatedly violated their oath. And while our institutions held, there was a huge cost. And I think that all of that needs to be factored into uh, how elections are run in the future, how we govern, uh, the, the people right now who are sitting in judgment uh, of the former president's conduct in the impeachment trial, who in some cases themselves aided and abetted the insurrectionists, um, you know, all these, all these conversations need to be had. People need to be held accountable. And then we need to think through those things as we look to repair not just our government, but our system of politics so that the next election cycle can be one about, you know, one where the institutions are, you know, have been re-strengthened, if that's a word, and, uh, you know, fortified. And, and that we can get back to a battle of ideas, a battle of how best to deliver healthcare, what the tax rate should be, or how we should engage on foreign policy. These are the kinds of debates I think we need to have in this country, but we can't just simply walk past what occurred over the last few years, particularly the last few months, and think everything is just going to be normal and okay again if we don't invest the time in trying to heal. Just in terms of the climate, uh, if, um, if, if one of your kids were to come to you and say, you know, dad, I think I want to follow in your footsteps and get into, uh, you know, get into electoral politics. What, uh, what advice would you give him or her? 
I'd say if this is what you really love and this is what you want to do, uh, then go for it. Look, uh, America is, is still an experiment that requires all of us to chip in. And, and we need to you know, stop resting on past generations or, or looking to past leaders for answers. And we need to each pull our own weight. And if my kids want to pull their own weight, God bless them. I'll be there to help them. And if they don't want to pull their own weight uh, in elected office, uh, that's cool, too. It's fine. We all have a responsibility to be good citizens. I know all four of my kids will be. And if they choose to do it directly through politics, um, I'll be cheering them on the sidelines and doing everything I can to help. That's great. General, uh, I, um, we come up against uh, the, the, uh, the end of our time. And uh, I know that you are, uh, okay. as I said, beginning on the run. Um, but I am yeah. just uh, very much appreciative of you um, sharing this time with us today. And uh, as I said, we're, I live in the state next door and have enjoyed watching, um, watching you do your thing. Uh, and uh, you're doing a great job and, and obviously enjoying doing it. So um, uh, thank you for all of the above. Really great to be with you, Matt. Thanks so much. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.